Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. And first up, we have to say a very good morning to Mr Stephen Ryan. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it is definitely getting lighter. I let all the animals out this morning before I came down. There you go. So it was light enough that I wasn't going to trip over in the garden trying to open the chook shed and such things. So, yeah, so spring's definitely here and... uh, and it's, or even, f- well, apart from all the rain, which has been fabulous, um, the weather's just getting that little bit warmer each time. You know, it you get is, a bad cold day, but then it gets, it gets warmer. And when the sun does break through, there's a bit of punch to it already. But I am so enjoying this spring. So are the weeds, but I'm enjoying this spring immensely. Um, it's the first time I can remember in years where the water's really got down into my soil. Yes. So everything is is really well watered, and it's going it's going to be gangbusters once we get those first few warm days. Uh, I think everything's just going to explode. So looking forward to uh, a few sunny days now. I think it'll be lovely. Yep. I was actually working in my veggie garden yesterday, and that, that sun did have a bit of bite yeah, to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yes, and of course in our veggie gardens, everything is moving like mad. Um, and I've got an awful feeling this year I'm going to miss the best time to put in most of my summer crop because you I'm going are. to be away in October. You are. So it's, uh, it's a real pain because it'll be too early to put them in at the end of September. Yep. Uh, and I'm just going to miss that week or two's extra growth by waiting until November when I get back. Yes, anyhow. and if you put them in too early, they'll just sulk and or yeah. they could rot out with yeah, all the rain and, and look, getting. I won't be there to look after them either. No, exactly. So, you so. know, if we do get a bit of warm weather, they might just burn out because there's no nobody there to give them a drink. Yep. So there's probably not much point in me doing terribly much in the garden. And I've got an awful feeling I might miss the best part of the broad bean crop. <laughs> so, you know, it's all in mad flower at the moment. I reckon it'll come in about... A week and a half after I leave. But it's a dilemma people have even if they go away at Christmas time because that's when you're harvesting everything and you're not there to water as well. And Uh, you come back and everything's gone to seed and you're... Mm. (laughs) Yes, it's any wonder some people go to the greengrocer. But anyhow... (laughs) Well, if you you whack a whole lot of seedlings in as soon as you get back, you might get a bit of... Yeah, look, I'm thinking too with some of the things that I don't have a long season for anyway, uh, I'll just try and get larger plants. I mean, if I, I don't normally buy big advanced tomatoes, but this year if I want some tomatoes, maybe that's what I have to do. Yep. Um, as soon as I get back, get some nice great big ones and stick them in and see how we go from there. Yep. So I'll, I'll be limited then to what varieties I can put in, I know, but at least I'll have a tomato or two. I well, suppose. they're getting better. They are They are mm. producing some heirlooms as uh, as seedlings now. Oh, yes, yes. It so, is a little um, better than it once was. Yeah, the choice is definitely starting yeah. to broaden. Oh, yes. Not as so, much as if you grow from seed. Oh, no, of course not. And you could never expect it to be, no, I don't guess. No, that's because right. Because just, there's just so many different varieties that you could be growing out there. That's right. So, um, yeah, so, uh, yes, it's a bit unfortunate, but anyhow... I'll have to go and enjoy myself in Madagascar instead. And, gee, that's going to be hard. <laughs> oh, and I have to say, too, we actually filled the two up. We had uh, one lady drop out uh, a few weeks back and somebody stepped in and has taken her spot. Fantastic. So we've got actually a full tour. So I'm Excellent. So I'm very, very pleased about that, as I am sure the company I work for is as well. Yep, yep. So there's a little more in it for them as well now because yep, it's, yep. a, it's a tight tour when you've only got 16 people. Oh, that's right. Take. So there's not a lot of meat on that tour. Mm. And so to have it full was fairly important and we've done that so yeah so 
it's starting to get exciting. I got my passport sent back from the Honorary Consul General in, in Sydney the other day, so I've now got the great big Malagashi stamp in oh, my, right. I, I, for the visa in my uh, in my passport. So it really feels like it's happening. Yep, yep. You know, so, and I've been to the doctor for all my vaccination things and all yep, that sort of stuff, yep. so it's all, all go now. And have all your friends and neighbours given you orders for vanilla to bring home? Uh, well, no, not many of them have, actually, interestingly oh, enough. Oh, that's but surprising. Yes, yes, I'm surprised nobody's thought to do that yet. Damn it, now we've mentioned it on radio. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said anything, <laughs> should I? Yeah, so who knows. But actually, I'm not altogether sure whether we'll be able to get much because there's been some issues with the vanilla crops over the last couple of years. Oh, okay. So it might not actually be that easy to get. Right. Uh, or, or it might the... be incredibly expensive. Yeah, well, it could have gone right up in price. I mean, yep. I mean, when I bought it years ago, the last time I was there, I think I paid $40 a kilo for vanilla then. And you were paying sort of about $6 a pod here. Uh, and so I, I came back with this huge bundle of vanilla, uh, which I'm still using. Yep. Uh, all stuck in icing sugar in the cupboard, and I just pull out a pod whenever I need one. And it makes me laugh because we've got so much vanilla in the house, and we don't use a lot of it, that we can be as profligate with it as we like. Yes. And, and Craig's determined to try and reuse the pods every time we do something with <laughs> vanilla. And I think, well, why? I mean, we're, you know, there's probably a lifetime's worth of vanilla in our cupboard. So anyhow. Yeah, so, for someone who isn't a sweet tooth, it's quite uh, hilarious. <laughs> well, it is. We don't do a lot of desserts and things. No, that's know. right. Uh, and it's, a, it's a red letter day if we've got visitors coming and we decide to do a dessert. So, yeah. Um, Yes, I think the last time I used it was in Maggie Beer's rhubarb and blood orange crumble that I made. Sounds good. A while back, which is yummy. Yep. Uh, okay. Anyhow, enough of me. <laughs> yes, we're all going to get hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> we must say a very good morning next up to Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. Lovely to be here again. And I'm sure being on the peninsula, everyone's happy with the rain. Absolutely. Although, you know, I've got to say I feel a bit sorry for all the people who are actually underwater. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, you know, well, though we are celebrating the fact that we've had lots of water and, and I think there's going to be some garlic growers who are in a bit of trouble um, because they're... They've, they, you know, garlic doesn't like being underwater. So, you know, if if there's flooding in those areas, and there's some rivers that are still rising. So, yes, um, the Hopkins yes. down at you know Warrnambool is is still rising, and you know, so this it it's not over. So yeah, it's it's tough after you've had floods, but no, we've had terrific rain, mm. and mm. my garden is probably two or three weeks ahead of yours, and it's already doing. Oh, it's that. already doing that. Mine's yes, just on the cusp. No, it's yeah. really taking off. So and the weeds as well. Oh but, yes, yes, that bloody cleavers. <laughs> if I'm, I don't get on top I'm of it, I'm still feeding it to my chooks. Yeah, and, and I'm happy to feed it to it. my chooks, but most of them are now up to you know sort of sixty centimeters across the plants yeah. in the garden, and I'm sort of trying to work my way systematically through the gardens and get rid of it. Because if I don't get it out, one, it'll probably be in seed by the time I come home, True. and it'll be huge. Yes. So I'll have this mm. huge biomass of, of weeds mm. to pull out, and yep. the chooks will not be able to deal with it because there's far too much of it. Because um, I think the cats bring it in. Mm. Um, you know, I'm assiduous about weeding it in my garden, but I'm sure mm. there's neighbours nearby that aren't. Yes. And I think our cats go exploring and then they come back with the cleaver seeds on their fur mm. and they drop them all over our garden mm. kindly. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so, and those who don't know what cleavers is, I'm talking about sticky weed. Or goose grass. <laughs> or goose grass, yes, all the different names that it goes by. Um, uh, and, or that bloody thing, I think it's sometimes called. <laughs> that cursed weed. Yes. Oh, dear. Yes, never mind. We also have to say a very good morning to Richard Austin. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, everybody. And rain it did. Yes. <laughs> 
I think the other one too with the weeds at the moment that's just getting going is that damn flickweed. Oh, Ooh, yes. Isn't that yes. horrible mm. stuff? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's oh. having a lovely time. Yeah. Never mind, never mind. It's just that time of year where everything's starting to get going, including all those wonderful orchids. Absolutely. And, of course, that's why you're here because you're um, – are you still um, chair, president? President, yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, they wouldn't let me go. Yeah. Oh, I'm you not should, surprised. You should do a worse job. That would help. <laughs> and, of course, we're talking about uh, ANOS, which is the Australasian Native Orchid Society – and, of course, the reason you're in here, again, is because the show's next weekend. It certainly is, Pam, yes. At, uh, that's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre in Where Miller Crescent. Where all flower shows are. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. and, look, that, and that's so true, Stephen, because it's such a brilliant venue. Yep. You know, if, if you haven't got a car and you're relying on public transport, it's right opposite Mount Waverley Station. And there's buses coming in from everywhere as well, from different areas. So there's no problems it's about good getting hub, to the it? venue. It's, oh, it's, it's, just, it's just brilliant. So that's... Um, as I said, next Saturday and Sunday, and uh, it's from 9am to 4pm on both days. And, of course, we will have a huge display in there, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Yeah. It, it was really funny. Last oh, A couple of weeks ago, and we had that nice warm spell that week, yeah. and I'm looking at all my orchids popping and out, going, boing, boing, and boing. I'm going, oh, goodness me, <laughs> will they hang on for the show? Yes. Then last week, everything stopped dead in its tracks. Yeah. Things that were half open stayed half open. And uh, so we'll be willing them on and just hoping there's that balance. But it looks like being a brilliant uh, season for the speciosums. Yeah. They're yeah. just they're just gorgeous. Mm. So we've we've got that on the Saturday. Plenty of sales as well. Some Good. demonstrations and talks, which are all free, and uh, and all the rest of it. So we'd love to see everybody get on down there, and uh, you'll absolutely be blown away by. And remembering these are all basically Australian native mm. orchids. We do cover the Australasian region, but uh, that well, allows How far us, out do you go? We, we sneak in places like Papua New Guinea oh, yeah. and, and Numea and areas like that. And which the three is, species from New Zealand or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I know there is. They're, 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 surprisingly, yeah. they're, getting, they're, they're, they're coming up with, with some interesting stuff there. So, yeah, generally around mm. and uh, around that that. Area. Oh, there's all sorts well, of complicated things. Well, if you're sneaking Papua New Guinea in, I mean, they've got a huge array of dendrobiums and things up there, haven't they? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Massive. Oh, we have to we have to let them in because they were part of us once upon a time. Of course they were. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it actually does raise an, a, an interesting issue, though. It always made me laugh when when the Canberra Botanic Gardens first got going. I remember going up there and they had a beautiful uh, array of Varia rhododendrons, the New Guinean ones mm. that they had in their in the foyer of their sort of information centre, and the next time I went back, New Guinea had had its independence and the rhododendrons were all gone. <laughs> and you do sort of wonder, you know, this whole business about geographical barriers or political yes. barriers yes. around things, they're only man-made anyway. That's right. It doesn't worry the plants one little no, bit. No, of course you it does And it's even state to state in Australia. You yeah. know, you've got that scenario of all the – and it is so true. Western Australia is just stunning, you know, yeah. especially this time of year. Yeah, and, and with uh, such a different flora in lots of ways. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, uh, But it doesn't stop dead at the borders. It merges all the way through and all the rest of it. So, yeah, we'll have, we'll have as much as we can on display. So that's both epiphytes and terrestrial orchids, mm-hmm. of course. Course, 
there. So uh, do you yeah. have people who I'm assuming you do that fall into the two different camps that you know people who basically specialise in epiphytes or basically specialise in, in absolutely the yeah, yeah 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 we have we have the the two the t- well we have two groups dedicated to them as well. So people that's probably one of the great things about being a member of ANOS is that the fact that we we cover the epiphyte and the the mm. terrestrials. So and they have their own outings, they have their own workshops, they have all yeah. their own. So they do like function almost as autonomous yes, groups, but yep. under the one body. Under the one body, and then we all get together and, and have fun when we put this big show on, and of course at our meetings. And is, is there rivalry between the terrestrials and the and the epiphytes? <laughs> not, not, not really, but you know, we the, the terrestrial growers do get referred to as spud growers from time <laughs> to time. So. Yeah, I, I felt there had to be something going on there. Because uh, in a sense, they're almost like two different groups of plants, aren't they, in lots Absolutely. of ways? You know, yeah. I mean, I know they're all orchids, but um, nonetheless, their cultural requirements and everything is completely different. Worlds and, and they're visually quite different. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's it. Sounds like the Montagues and the Capulets. Well, it does a bit, doesn't it? Yes. I, I remember years ago, the Lilium Society uh, ended up having a breakup. Because there was the groups that liked the hybrid lilies, and there were the groups that were only interested in species, and they basically sort of went their own way because they couldn't really find any middle ground. I, th- I think our saving grace too is that we're a non-judging society, yeah. and boy, does that make life a lot easier. Oh, yeah, I guess yes. it does. Because yes, once you start mm. judging, there's a, that level of competitiveness <laughs> starts going up, uh, and then that can create a little bit of an issue. You know, if somebody thinks theirs was better than the other person's, and it didn't get the prize and all that stuff. Oh, uh, dear. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Okay, I must get to some community announcements. Um, springtime, of course, is always the busiest time of the year, particularly for um, for openings and shows and all the rest of it. So I must get to some of these right now. First up, a reminder that there are two gardens open today for Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, and they're next door to each other. In fact, they're well, uh, mother and daughter. Ah, fantastic. Yes. Fantastic indeed. So uh, Stoke is the first one, which is at 150 Warrandyte Road, North Ringwood. And the other one next door is Woodlands, which is at 152. So uh, if people are going along to those, um, you can actually get a joint ticket, uh, which is a, a reduction in cost. Uh, so $12 for a joint ticket to see both oh, gardens, which is excellent. Mm. It really is. So um, they're both open 10 through till 430 and um, there's uh, quite a contrast between the two. One is a rambling old garden with great charm, and of course that's the mother's garden. <laughs> I was going to guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's full. It's full of all sorts of um, of uh, eclectic uh, mix of plants, uh, particularly from things like friends' cuttings, and, oh, yes. as you can imagine. Yeah. One of those sort of gardens which are fabulous. To that's meandering. right. The other garden is a half-acre garden with all sorts of uh, wonderful foliage, and and it's got quite um. Uh, a structure to the whole garden. So, um, and if you want to create all sorts of interest, go along and tell them which one you like best, <laughs> <laughs> or not, as yeah, the case yeah, may be. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now, of course, uh, it really is um, orchid season, and there are so many orchid clubs out there, and they've all got shows coming up. Richard, you're absolutely. competing oh, with a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of, and I, I, I must admit, I love getting out. With, I talk quite a few of these different groups throughout the year. And it's so great to see them, you know, deep down in Werribee, Geelong, you know, all over the place. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, they just love what they're now, doing. It does intrigue me. The It sounds from what you're saying like the orchid fraternity, as in the specialist societies and clubs and things, seem to be going along rather well, where there's quite a number of other specialist groups that are struggling a little. 
Could well be. I think it's possibly the, the, the general appeal. Mm. You know, orchids, you've got the exotics when you get away from the Australian mm. plants. So you've got such a broad canvas of plants to be playing with. I think there's something to interest everybody. The more mm. specialised you get, the, the harder it is to attract mm. people into that area. True. Yeah. Yep. yep. No, no, I agree fantastic. with you. Yep. Well, if people are hankering for an orchid show today... Uh, there is one on the Northeast Melbourne Orchid Society. You've got their show today, and the venue is Bulleen Heights uh, School Hall. This is in Pleasant Road in Bulleen. Times uh, today, 10 through till 4. Admission cost of $4. There'll be orchids on show and for sale. Light lunch and refreshments available. And there's lots of orchid shows coming up again next weekend, including, of course, uh, the Australasian Native Orchid Society show. So we'll uh, talk about those in a little while. Now, a reminder, too, that uh, Hancock Staffordils, they have... They've got their farm open, running right through until the end of September. So if you'd like to go out and see just masses of flowering daffodils, um, and which will give you an opportunity to choose which ones you like and and make your choice, put in an order for some bulbs. And yeah. I must say, I've loved the the daffodils around the garden this year. Oh, They've been stunningly they've been good. good because that we haven't had too much warm weather, mm. and so they're hanging in there. I mean, you get a, a, a temperature up sort of into mid to high 20s and your daffodils will just go over. And we've been so fortunate with this cool weather. They've, they've, they've really hung in. So it's oh, been fantastic. Oh, they've been incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. The um, the address to go up to Hancock's Daffodils is 101 Grand Tula Road in Menzies Creek. Uh, now, they're open um, uh, 10... Two through till four on weekends or 11 through till four during the week. Admission is totally free and, as I say, that's running through every day until the end of September. Now, uh, also coming up, and uh, this one is next weekend, is the Melbourne Clivia Group. They've got a Clivia Expo on this year, ah, which fantastic. is great. Yep, They'll have display of new forms and colours, uh, quality plants and seedlings for sale, demonstrations on how to sow and grow from seed. Uh, admission is by gold coin uh, donation. And they've got a new venue. It's St Scholastica's Community Centre, 348 Burwood Highway in Bennettswood. That's uh, between Station Street and Middleborough Road. There's plenty of parking uh, off Starling Street. And uh, there's also, you can get a tram out there, Tram Route 75, Stop 65. It's a shame it's not St Finacre's, <laughs> the patron saint of gardeners. <laughs> Would be much more appropriate. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's next Saturday, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. Uh, now, let me see. Um, now, next weekend, um, we do have some more gardens open, opening for Open Gardens Victoria. And uh, these two are both in Camberwell, so they're close to each other, which is, uh, well, well, one is officially Hawthorne, but they're very close mm. to each other. Uh, <clears throat> the first one is Fair Home, which is 35 Prospect Hill Road in Camberwell. Uh, now, this is open 10 till 4. It's closing half an hour earlier than their usual close time. So please note, 10 through till 4. Um, entry price for this one is $10. Children under 18 are free. And uh, it's a 0.4 of a hectare of beautifully manicured uh, gardens uh, with a, a two-storey Georgian manor house, which was built in 1873. Um, there's significant heritage trees uh, there's, for instance, an enormous American redwood, a ginkgo, 
an African bean tree and a persimmon tree, which is so large it needs to be seen to be believed. So there you go. That would be wonderful to go along. Um, And it's the home of uh, renowned landscape oil painter Peter Smales. So he's going to be having an exhibition of paintings there as well, which will be great. Proceeds will uh, be donated to Interchange Inner East and Focus. Uh, Both these organisations provide ongoing support to people with an intellectual disability and their families. So that one's Fair Home. The other one opening next weekend is Placida. This is at 4 Coppen Grove in Hawthorne. Now, this one's open for the usual time slot of 10 through to 4.30. Entry price is $8. Again, children under 18 are free. And this one is in a beautiful urban setting overlooking the Yarra River with views to the city skyline. So that would be wonderful. Um, the overall design is formal with clipped hedging, walls, paths, um, espaliered uh, uh, fagus and hornbeam trees. Um, there's a series of garden rooms with a central axis. So, uh, <clears throat> And this garden is open for Breast Cancer Network Australia. Uh, so those two gardens, as I say, Fair Home at 35 Prospect Hill Road in Camberwell and Placida at 4 Coppen Grove in Hawthorne. Now, we do have one free double pass to each of those gardens. So um, if you would like to uh, phone Liz on 94190155, first two people that ring in can have one free double pass uh, to one of each of these gardens, and these double passes will be posted out to you. So that number nine four one nine zero one double five. If you'd like a free double pass to either visit Fair Home or to visit Placida. Uh, now uh, the others, I think, are a bit further ahead, so I might leave those for another time. But Stephen, you've got a few you must mention. Yes, well, basically because one of them is half over already. So if we don't mention yes, that, it'll be absolutely. too late. And that's the Garden Lovers <laughs> Fair <coughs> up at Mount Macedon. Um, it was on yesterday. It's on again today. Um, it's probably not as nice a day today to be um, out and about, but it's probably a better day to go out today than to go gardening in your own. So <laughs> this could be the opportunity to go out and have a nice time. Um, we've got about 30 stallholders. Uh, some of them are new, so if you've been before, there are new um, products and, and plants to look at. Okay. Uh, and, of course, uh, you get in to have a look at the beautiful garden of Bolabek, uh, which is a heritage-listed garden that was originally laid Escaped by Oswald Syme, who was the the person who started the Age newspaper, uh, and it of course was um, Joan Lawsmith's garden for many many years, um, and it's become one of our iconic. Australian gardens. Uh, so it's well worthwhile going and having a look at. And, of course, the daffodils and things are looking gorgeous up there at the moment. Um, so it's 370 Mount Macedon Road. Um, it's $10, which includes the fair and the garden. Uh, there will also There's also food and coffee and other things available. The local rangers are putting on a sausage sizzle as well, so you'll be helping the scouts <laughs> if you come along and have a sausage too. And um, it really is a great day out. So it's... Uh, the car park opens at 9.30. The fair itself starts at 10. Uh, and, um, yeah, do come up to Mount Macedon today because mm. today's the last day. And uh, I had a look last night when I went down there. There's still oodles of really good plants there. Um, I walked out with one. Uh, no, actually, I walked out with two when I think about it. There was something else I bought, but one still sticking in my mind because it was quite an investment. Um, but anyhow, uh, so that's today. 
Now, this week on Thursday, another, I think, iconic event uh, around Melbourne uh, is the big night out for Plant Trust an organisation of which I happen to be president. And we're having, it's actually our AGM, but I say that really quietly because it's about five minutes and it's over. So it's not something like we're trying to encourage people to come along and then they'll suddenly become president. So it's all right, don't worry. Um, it's at 6.30, it's free. It's at Domain House, which is in Dallas Brooks Drive. So if you know where the herbarium is at the Botanic Gardens, you just go straight down the little road in front of it. And uh, Domain House is on the right-hand side, a little white building. Um and uh, at eight o'clock, the plant auction starts, and we've got plants coming from uh, uh, kind nurseries that have donated plant material, as well as um, some of our collection holders. There'll be some seriously rare things available. Uh, there'll be a raffle for uh, a plant prize as well, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, yours truly does the auctioneering and I try and loosen everybody's wallets uh, and it's sort of the big fundraiser of a plant trust every year and uh, yes it's one of those things that some people can't miss you know so we have regulars that come along every year they have no idea what they're likely to be able to buy and sometimes they've got no idea what they did when they leave (laughs) (laughs) so uh, but it is it's great fun and we have some nice wines and cheeses and things to sort of relax everybody into the mood for it so 6.30 for the wine and cheese reception and viewing of what plants are there so that you get a bit of a sense of what you might want to bid for. Uh, And then at 8 o'clock, we start the plant auction. uh, And it goes through until I flog all the plants, basically. So um, uh, come along. It's free. Uh, We'd love to to meet you all. Uh, You might like to join Plant Trust because I think it's a a worthy organisation that... uh, that probably needs a bit more support and a little bit more public interest. Um, And, uh, yeah, a good night out by all. So go main house on Thursday night. Right. 6.30. So that's that one. And look, this this one's a bit ahead, but you do have to book for it, the final one I've got here that uh, I'd like to mention. And it's another thing I'm involved with. Uh, there is a magnificent garden on the north of Mount Macedon, and most of our gardens tend to be on the south side of the mountain, uh, called Ard Hilly. Um, and it was originally landscaped by William McGregor, who was one of the um, first um, directors of BHP. Um, and he built this basic Scottish manor an estate uh, up on Mount Macedon. Uh, and he had trout hatcheries and wild boar and God knows what else he didn't have. Uh, and the garden is now full of uh, trees well over 100 years old. So there are some amazing trees in this garden. And so what it's going to be is a garden walk and morning tea. Uh, uh, yours truly is leading the walk. And we're going to look at some of these iconic trees at, um, at Ardhilly and learn a little bit about some of the species that were planted and why they were used and, and some of the rarer trees that are in the garden because there's a few things there that are almost unique to Australia. Um, so it will be great fun. It's $30 per head, which includes the morning tea and tour. Uh, but you do have to book... And I'm going to have to spell out the uh, email for you so that you'll get it right, because Ardhilly is not spelt how it's pronounced. Uh, but it's info at ardhillygarden.com.au. And so info at Ardhilly, which is A-R-D-C-H-O-I-L-L-E. So it's sort of spelt like Ardchoil or something. Yes. Uh, garden.com.au. So if you'd like to come along for that, it will be limited probably to about 25 people or so, uh, and it would be a lovely day out. Um, it uh, sort of starts about 10.30 in the morning. It'll be finished by about lunchtime. And uh, it really is a remarkable property. It's got a National Trust classified uh, galvanised iron fernery. 
which is not quite on the scale of Rip and Lee's, but nearly. Wow. Uh, it's a huge structure. And, of course, because he was a BHP man, you can understand why it was made out of galvanised <laughs> iron. Of course. Uh, and uh, and the cottage there has his clan colours. You can still see them on the chimney. Uh, so it's, it's got quite a lot of interesting sort of background and history, and I'll be throwing in lots of background on the property and maybe some of it will be true. Um, and uh, so it should be good fun. Yep, excellent so I'd fun. love to see a few of our um, 3CR listeners um, at Ardhilly on the 10th of November. Sounds wonderful. Okay, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to uh, ask a gardening question or if you'd like to uh, to uh, comment on anything you've heard this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show and in the studio this morning we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants Penny Woodward, who, of course, um, is uh, known uh, widely as an author but also an expert in uh, all things edible in the plant world, and Richard Austin from Australasian Native Orchid Society. Let's see if you can give us some orchid questions this morning. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Now's your chance. Instead Nine... of awkward ones. <laughs> 94190155. Penny, you've brought in the most beautiful-looking oh, book you. this morning. It's just stunning. Yeah, look, I, I, um, this is a book called Garlic Feast. And um, I find it, it's a really exciting book and I have huge admiration for the author because it's self-published. But it is done beautifully. And in this day and age where, you know, everyone seems to having to sort of cut their budget and suit things, make things to fit, you know, this is beautiful. The photography is stunning. Um, it's, a, it's all about using garlic. So you probably wouldn't buy it to learn how to grow garlic, or there, although there are some you know, brief instructions there about growing garlic. But if you are a passionate garlic person and you want to learn how to use garlic in all its different guises, so there are recipes for garlic bulbs, obviously, but for how to use smoked garlic, how to use black garlic, how to use garlic scapes, how to use green garlic, how to use garlic sprouts. So garlic in every different way and it is but it now, is how many garlic desserts have we got in there? um there are a couple of garlic desserts <laughs> i knew that would be fantastic <laughs> um so yes good question with, um, with vanilla I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of used to seeing garlic used in desserts so i don't think yeah of it but most people that, wouldn't i mean i don't yeah, think i've ever yeah. eaten a garlic but it dessert. needs to it needs to be specific types of mm. garlic so and they need to be um baked first to get the sweetness oh yes yeah so that you then use those to, say, make ice cream. It's a mm. classic garlic ice cream. Is a classic ice cream that's sold at the garlic festivals in, in the US, oh, for instance. Yes. That's where it first started. So, but look, it, it is just, um, it's, a, it's a really oh, beautiful it's, book. It's and superb. the photography is just superb. And um, so if you're someone who's into really good cookbooks, if you're someone who's into garlic, you should probably have well, a somebody coffee. who just wants a really lovely coffee table well, book to oh, sit yes. on the table. I mean, it is yeah. just a lovely book. Yeah, and um, it, you can buy it in, in Victoria. It, it is for sale at Readings, um, but they're the only bookshops that have taken it. Uh, because it's self-published, Janice Sutton, who is the, who is the author, um, she is mainly selling it through her website. So her website is garlicfeast.com. Oh, good, nice. It's easy. So really easy, um, and it's it's sixty nine ninety five, and the postage is free. So that's damn gee, good value. that's yeah. that's incredible yeah. value. So and it's a it's a really 
It's a big, oh, solid, it's a big it's solid, solid book. You could so hurt somebody. I hate to think what the postage would actually well, cost it, on because that. It, this is, I'm very familiar with this because if you go over 500 grams and it's under three kilos, it costs you in one of those red stripe bags, yep. it costs you about $13.50 to right. post anywhere in Australia. Um, so my garlic book is just over 500 grams. So it costs me as much to post that. As, as it would to post that. Yeah, wow. So that's Australia Post's way of, you know, getting as much money out of it out of us as they can. Yes, um, right. Uh, but, yeah, so that's that's what what she is subsidising because initially she found there was some resistance because of the cost of postage. And I do the same thing. I only charge $5 postage and I just yeah, subsidise yeah. the rest Yes, of it. yes. Um, so yeah, so she's yeah, it is it is beautiful. And if you go onto the website, you can actually see some pictures from the book. You can get an idea of of you know what it looks like and why we're sort of raving about mm. it. And, yeah, we yeah. should also mention that uh, the author lives in Tasmania she, now. Yes, she is a Tasmanian, um, and she's been heavily involved with the Cunha Garlic Festival. And this is where this book has sort of come out of because she was involved with that. She's a journalist and she's a chef. Um, and she's a passionate foodie, I guess. And um, and the Cunha Garlic Festival has always been... It actually was started by artists and foodie people rather than garlic growers. Right. So there, there's been a bit of a, an unusual twist to the Cunha Garlic Festival. And, um, yeah, so it reflects all of that background too and this at the end of the book there's a bit about the Cunha Garlic Festival and it's coming up for I think it's its fourth year Okay, next year. Actually um, February, I'll just post this because February is going to be Garlic Month because we have a garlic festival in Orange in New South Wales in the first weekend. We've got something happening which we're still working on at the South Melbourne Market in the second weekend. We've got the Menian <clears throat> Garlic Festival in Gippsland which is going to be huge um, in the third weekend and in the fourth weekend, we've got the Cunha Garlic Festival. So it all over the east coast of Australia, sort of New South Wales, Victoria and Tassie, we've got all these fabulous garlic things happening right through February. Wow. So, um, yeah, So and more things that we're still working on as part of an organisation. So you guys are all the first to know about this. <laughs> well, just us in the studio yeah, or yeah, maybe no. everybody out there as well. Yeah, well <laughs> it's the first time I've, I've gone publicly and said, you know, this is going to be Garlic mm. Month. Excellent. Good. So, okay, plenty to look forward yes. to. But yeah, so garlicfeast.com.au if you would like a copy. Excellent. Yep. No, it it is is most beautiful production. It really is and um you know, I have to congratulate her because it's very brave to self-publish. Oh, yes, yeah, but sometimes that's the only way that you that you you get something really good because you're not constrained by what the publisher wants. You can exactly you can decide to do what you want. Exactly, yes, yeah. and yeah. Um, and I and I you know I just think it's gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, that number again, if you'd like to uh, phone in and ask a question this morning, 94190155. We do have Richard Osted in the studio from Australasian Native Orchid Society. So if you'd like to talk all things uh, Native Orchids, we'd love to hear from you, 94190155. Now, Penny, you also wanted to mention Organic <laughs> yeah. Gardener magazine because yeah. the new one is out. It is. Um this is the time of year where we do two magazines in quick succession because we now do seven a year because some bright spark at the ABC decided that we should do an extra. Um, so it's not out for very long. It's only for a month. So, the, you know, the next one comes out at the beginning of next month. It, it, it was a 
it was an interesting one to put together because we're always under pressure. We don't get extra staff for the extra magazine. We're all, but I think it's one of the nicest that we've done this year. It's um, it's got a really lovely article by um, Justin Russell about um, pseudo cereals, which I haven't seen other people writing about. So how to grow your own chia and quinoa and buckwheat and amaranth. Goodness. Um, so different. Different seeds that you can grow for yourself. Does it tell you what to do with them after you've grown yes. them. <laughs> there's a little, there's a little bit of that. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I always have lots of amaranth because it comes up in the garden of its own accord. It's all yeah, over but, the place. But you need to grow specifically yeah, the, seed, the seed-bearing amaranths mm. rather than the flowering amaranths mm. or the leaf amaranths. So that there are some amaranths, some species that are actually for seed. Ah, so right. and they're the ones that are grown in in South America. So yeah, so it explains explains all that in the in the thing. There's also I think a really timely thing about the fact that all our solar um subsidies are coming to an end yes. uh, in a lot of areas mm. at yes. the end of this year and the the things that you can do to deal with that and um so Simon has written a really good article about that. Um, I've written about tomatoes, which was I found a really interesting process to go through, and it's pertinent to what you were talking about before, Steve. Um, down in Tasmania, the Royal Tasmanian Botanic Gardens, for the last several years, have been collecting heirloom seed from all over Australia, and at one point they were even importing it from seed yeah. savers in the US until it got really quite difficult because of some disease problems, so that they had to be certified and all sorts. Anyway, that was quite complicated. Um, but every year they grow seeds and sell seedlings at the RTBG of over 100 different cultivars. Fantastic. Mm. So if you happen to be in Tasmania, you can turn up there. They they had so many people on their main sale day that they now have a pre-sale day where you have to pay, <laughs> where you have to pay $10 to be able to get in. So it's a fundraiser for the Botanic Gardens. Right. I think that's a fabulous so idea. It's being done by this one woman, um, Margot White, who is an amazing horticulturalist in the Botanic Gardens. She's organised it all, but she has this huge group of volunteers so that they actually have the seed that they've brought in. They, they grow for three generations mm. before they're sure that it's growing true to type. Um, and they have been trying to find some really good cold climate cultivars. So ones that will grow in the Tasmanian cold climate. And there's apparently real kudos in Tassie to being able to have a tomato for Christmas. So, you know, (laughs) this is a real bragging rights stuff. So I've I've written about that. If you want to have a look at what they're doing, they have a really good Facebook page. So you just put in um, RTBG and Facebook and Mm. it'll come up with, with what they're doing. And at some point they'll actually have a list of all the cultivars. This year they are having some amazing cultivars because there is another group in New South Wales and again I've written about this who are growing um, dwarf tomatoes so it's called the Dwarf Tomato Project and they got together with a group in in the US um, and what they've been doing is breeding the heirloom tomatoes with dwarf tomatoes Ah. so that dwarf tomatoes are now going to be having all these fabulous characteristics that we've got used to in in, deter, in indeterminate tomatoes, so the tall-growing tomatoes. So they've this group, um, the Dwarf Tomato Project, have come up with all these um, tomato new breeds, so, so modern heirlooms, so they're all open-pollinated. Mm-hmm. Right. They've done it over six or seven generations, so it's seven years where they've bred them and they've selected them and selected them and selected them until they grow true to type. And they're giving them names that reflect Australia. So you've got 
cultivates like Uluru gold. Oh, um, wow. And all these fabulous named cultivars, the ones in America obviously have different names. Um, and for the first, you vote, and you've been able to buy seed of these from the Dwarf Tomato Project people. Petrina Nusky is the main person who's been pushing it in Australia. But um, the Royal Tasmanian Botanic Gardens have got seed from them and they're now selling seedlings of about 30 or 40 of these dwarf tomatoes from the Dwarf Tomato Project. Well, maybe I need to get on a plane to Tassie when I get back from Madagascar. (laughs) This is October, I'm afraid, Oh, so it's even going to be too early for me to do that, so I can't even do that. Well, you won't be here. No, I won't. Yeah. (laughs) So, but, you know, if you're thinking about going down to Tassie, you could take your car and you could get all these fabulous tomatoes. So I think the dates are the 14th and the 16th of October. Mm. So the pre-sale is the 14th and the... And, and the, the open, and open bun is, fight is, is on the 16th. Yeah. And they have queues going right down the roads. Oh, I can imagine. And everything to get wow. these tomatoes. So it was great fun researching that. Um, and and they're also, they will also have some other um, plants as well. They're doing a range of basils and they're doing some um, cucumbers and a few others, okay. other things as well they'll have for sale. So I've also got an article here on basils. But... If you just look at the colours, I mean, some of the photography, these aren't my photographs, most of them, but some of the photography is just beautiful with all the different tomatoes that you can, yeah. that you can get these days. So, um, yeah, so I think, it's, I think it's a really good issue. Oh, I, I also wrote an article about bats, about microbats. So I actually wrote that 12 months ago and I've been trying to get it into the mm. magazine because Steve kept bumping it out because it wasn't time critical. So mm. articles would get a bit bigger than he expected and he'd look at it and think, well, what can I get rid of? And he'd oh, take yeah, out so the, the yes, bat article. The bat article went yeah. out. <laughs> but if you're interested in having microbats in your garden, which most people will have anyway, there's also instructions in there on how to um, make your own bat box so for them to roost in. I'd rather make a bat car. Yes. <laughs> you can start with yeah. a bat box. Yeah, yeah work my way up to a bat car, bats. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We'd love to hear from you this morning. If you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We do have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward and Richard Austin in the studio so do give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Richard, let's get back to uh, native orchids. And um, I am starting to pick up the perfume from uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from Even with one. my slightly it's... stuffy nose, I can pick it up. Yes, mm. yes. And it's just in glorious flower at the moment. That's, uh, that's a little um, Dendrobium falcorostum. And uh, it's also known as the beech orchid because it typically grows on the beech trees. Ah. Um, up in particularly New South Wales, um, Queensland, those areas. And that interesting thing with this, it, it, it's um, generally all white. But one of the interesting things with these is that they're up at a little bit of altitude. So, so many of our orchids can be even from northern Australia, can be cold-grown down here in Victoria. You know, you get up in the Atherton Tablelands, um, you're up a 1,000 metres and around that area. Yeah, and it can get cold. It, it gets cold. Yes. In fact, these falcorostrums, believe it or not, if you mothered them, brought them down here and put them in a, in a glass house, um, you're unlikely to get good flowering out of them. They no, need so they that need cold to, yep, to, to you know, instigate a little bit of flowering on them. And, uh, yeah, the perfect perfume. How do they stuff. cope, though, if it's actually frost? Um, these things aren't too bad. Mm. What will happen is 
the most damage you'll get because the leaves are really tough and leathery, yeah. you know, on all the dendrobium type things. They're they're capable. If they were flowering at that time, oh, yeah. you you quite often can lose flowers. Mm. And even with the natives, I took a group up. Would you believe to um, Lake Mountain, oh, yeah. um, February? I would. I think it was February this this year actually, and. We, I'd been up there a couple of days beforehand to check it all out because it's a fair way to go if there was nothing around. <laughs> yes. And there are all these beautiful little um, thalamitra mm. sun orchids out around the rock pools and the sphagnum bog, you know. And uh, they're one of those things that you don't see very often and they just grow straight in the sphagnum moss. Mm. Everybody up there, would you believe in the days between I, when I was there and the Saturday we went up, there was a frost. Oh. And all the buds, all the flowers had just collapsed and wilted and were, were tipping over. We went through, everybody, I think some of them were on their hands and knees in the end, crawling through, <laughs> determined they're going to find one that survived. But yeah. not, not all. There was a lot of other orchids out too, so that, that was okay for them. But it just shows you how little... You know, little thing like that can affect the flower. The rest of the plant, that's that's okay. Yeah, so it'll be back again next it'll year. It'll be back yeah, again yeah. next yeah. year. But, but just would you timing. expect a frost in February? Well, no. It was just that it was that weird weather we've been mm. having. It went back, and I didn't even think about it. We had a couple of... It was a beautiful day when I was up there during the week, and it was a beautiful day on the Saturday when I met everybody up there, you know, sunshine mm. and all the rest of it. And it was a Thursday or the Friday, I think, that we had a really cold snap down in Melbourne. Mm. Well, you know, it may... For us, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're up... See, Lake Mountain's 1,400 metres, mm. so you're yes, up above right. the, the regular snow line. And, of course, that's, that's how it affected them. So, mm. yeah, little things can make a big difference. Goodness me. Richard, have you got many uh, growers from over Australia coming to the show? We have, we have most of our growers, um, well, all of them are actually from Victoria. Oh, okay. Um, that, that supply our plants, most of our plants. It's it's one of those things these days. It's just, you know, the old days where we used to have all the members supplied all the sales plants and things like that for, for sale. Um, things just grow beyond that these days. So you have to bring in you know, the professional people to, to uh, commercial people to supply enough sales plans to keep mm. up with demand. But they're also all members of the society. Right. And they also contribute to the display. Right. So, so all ours, because we're the Victorian group of ANOS. Yep. So you'll hear that name, ANOS. So if you're ever looking for us specifically, just put ANOS Vic in the search engine when you're looking up for the website, and that'll take you to our webpage with, with all the various links to what's on and what we're doing and, and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, they're coming from, from you know, all over Melbourne primarily will be our, our, our display plants will be coming from. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of beautiful um, terrestrials from people like Helen Richards and uh, Dick Thompson and uh, and those people that have, you know, been doing it forever and a day. And, yes. And getting great results. Excellent. Tell us a bit more about the uh, about the group. How often do you meet, and um, right. what we, do you do? We meet first Friday of the month in uh, the Uniting Church Hall in Turak Road, and uh, our meetings start at eight o'clock. And we usually have we try to have some you know really quality guest speakers. Um, for for our shows, we, we we're not formal ones. So what we do is we just have a display of plants. And Stephen would like this: the epiphytes are on one side of the roof, <laughs> and the terrestrials are on the other yeah, side knew, of the roof. I knew it'd be like that. <laughs> so it, it it gives everybody a chance to bring in because you know we we only have our one big show each year, but of course. It's virtually hardly a month going by where there isn't something in flower. Mm. So people can, can bench their plants and, and have a look, have a bit of a talk about 
about them and uh, then we get into our speakers and we've, we even bring people from overseas to speak. So, you know, um, we, we like to really highlight that sort of thing. Then we have our terrestrial study group and they go out and do uh, walks in the bush um, looking for orchids, you know, going through specific areas and all the rest of it. One thing is interesting, I, I did a little um, e-book, it's, it's done as a CD, and I'll have some for sale at the show again on the orchids around Melbourne. In, in it, I, I was lamenting the number of orchids that actually had been lost because when I researched the specific species, nobody had seen them for years and years mm. and years and years. There was one little thing called the Caledonia filamentosa, which is a pr- very pretty and delicate spider orchid, long filamentosus mm. type type sepals and petals on the. Would you believe one of the groups out a couple of weeks ago in Panton Hill found one in flower? Oh, really? So there's a good chance some of those orchids are still out there, right? isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And there exactly. might even be some we don't know about. So big, well, exactly. Again, mm. and a big thrill for them, and, and it just just proves that you know you've just got to keep looking, keep looking, and keep your fingers crossed. Mm. And and probably one of the things, the other things that we get involved with heavily is conservation. We have our groups, and some of these guys, I mean, most of them that are in this heavily are retired, fortunately, but they're busier than they ever were. They'll be out for a week at a time, Mm. you know, um, surveying plants, reintroducing plants because we we have the plants that are growing in the laboratory and and on grow, and then they've got to be taken out into the bush, replanted, Mm. and all the rest of it. And one of those little things I'll I'll just mention that we're following up on, we're actually starting at the show, so this will be fun for people that come along, is a crowdfunding campaign for the uh, Diurus Fragrantissima and the Little Golden Moths, both from the basalt plains Mm. of West you know, of mm. Melbourne, um, the fragmentissima, I know in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was down to less than a handful of plants Ooh, still in existence. And that's, that's a handful. We've reintroduced um, a lot now. I've, now I've I'm a few assuming thousand. with your reintroductions that you check up on how they're going. Do we Have we had a reasonably good hit rate with the, what you it, put it's, back? It, it's up and down. Mm. It's up and down because of sites. But this, this, this funding thing is to help you know, improve that scenario mm. by, by, you know, making sure we can fence sites appropriately and all the rest mm. of it. So the good thing is we're launching that, and that's one of those good projects because, of course, when we reach our target, which is, uh, what have we got, $1,390, the government will go dollar for dollar with us. Oh, good. And, okay. Uh, and all that sort of stuff. Well, so, that'll, so there'll be all different levels, I think, from about $20 through to a thousand dollars from a corporate level for people that want to uh, donate to that to that thing, and we have all sorts of little gifts and incentives, you know, including in some cases there's free membership for a year, so people can get our bulletin on email and all that sort of stuff. So we're looking forward to, to kicking that off and preserving a couple of. That's not a huge orders. amount of money to raise either, is it? Really? Well, no, it's not. No. It's not, yeah, it's and I think that's that's the important no. thing. It's it's yeah. better to be realistic mm. and and get because we have started. You know, we've saved this orchid. Mm. It's been saved. We've got it, you know, Mm. going again. But it's the ongoing maintenance. And that's where a lot of these things can fall down. Yes. You get all the big push to get things happening and then it gradually deteriorates again. So you've got to keep on top. So crowdfunding site is it on? It'll be through um, our website. Oh, You can go straight to our website and get all the details. And we'll actually launch it officially at the show. So everybody can can click on and follow the links again. Yeah, we just go through that way. Yep, excellent. Okay, we must get to a few callers. First up, we have Virginia, who's in Coburg. Good morning, Virginia. Oh, good morning. Uh, look, I've got a garlic question. Sure. 
Every year, um, my garlic and all my other onion-type plants seem to get infested with this, these terrible black aphids. Yep. And they seem to decimate the garlic in particular, and I uh, don't know what to do about okay. it. Okay, they're, they're the black onion aphid, and yep. you're right, they will attack all your plants. Um, if you've had serious issues over a number of years, you might need to take all the alliums out of your garden for... A period of time, right? So that's longer term. So if you've got things like garlic chives growing in there, black aphid yep. will often overwinter on yep. those sort of plants. Yeah. But the way you can deal with it now is to use soap spray. Yep. Alternated with a pest oil. Oh, okay. So if you and you need to get onto it quickly because yes. they um, get down and they breed in between the folds in the That's leaves. That's right. So they're really hard to. You I can't can just go out there. there and squash them or anything. So That's what right. what you need to do is to the first week or straight away get a get. It's just a mild soap spray. You just water it over the over the plant and you make sure it dribbles down in between the leaves. Do I make that myself? Yeah, just get a just get a a. a um, a block of oil-based soap and just rub it a bit in some water and just spray that on or water it water it on. Okay. Um, is oil-based soap a particular kind of soap? It, well, it's just it's one that is is a plant a plant oil-based soap just because it's a it's a safer oh, it's a safer soap than yep, than yep. some of the others. Um, and then the pest oil, Echo Organics pest oil, is a really good one which you can just buy. Um, do do that in the second week. So okay. the things, the ones that get missed by the soap, you then get with the pest oil the next, the following week. Okay, okay. Um, and and then maybe do that again. You can't use the soap too often because it will, uh, if it will build up in the soil, it might be good for the good for the soil. But a couple of times is fine. So okay. if you if you do that over over a month, sort of four times, then you will probably get it under control. But you need to do every single LM in your garden. Right. Better get out there then. Yes. <laughs> but at least you know that the sprays that you're using are not doing any harm anywhere else. Yeah. And it will only be killing those aphid. It won't be killing other things in your garden because you're being so specific about, you know, targeting it just to the to the ones that are in your garlic. Penny, so do you need to wait for a day that isn't raining? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, probably a good idea um, to do it on a day because otherwise you, it will, a lot of it will just get washed away. But it's pretty quick acting so that once it gets down and coats the aphid, it kills them straight away. Okay, so, so is, is a soap like sunlight soap, is that, yeah, that's, not, that's is that fine. all right? Yep. Okay, great. All right, thank you very much for it's that. It's a pleasure and good luck. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, next up we have uh, Hugh out in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Victoria. I've got two questions. One is for Virginia, and one is for Mr. Enos. I can't remember your name. Richard. Mr. Richard. Uh, Mr. Richard, I'll start with you first. Uh, um, uh, I've been last year to Enos, and there was this fantastic lady uh, giving uh, photography lessons, etc. Is she there again? If it was our show, um, yes, the same people... If it was your show at Waverley... Yeah, yep, yep. And she was doing demonstrations? Yes, she was demonstrations and giving um, lectures on how to handle your camera, blah, 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 blah. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, um, That will be our our talk on photography. will be on again. And we're even going to the extent of showing you how to get the best out of your phones now. 
not just your your ordinary camera. So Wendy will be there to talk about photography, most definitely. And that is on, I can tell you now, that will be on the uh, Saturday afternoon, one thirty in the afternoon, her talk on photography will be. 13.30. Yes, that's just what I wanted to know. Because I wanted to go again, you know. Um, and I, I also, It was a fantastic show last year. It was the first time ever I've been to Enos. Um, and um, um, I also got a fantastic book. It's, oh, it's, it's oh gosh, the size of it, bigger than the old telephone books. And it, it was called, and it is called Orchids in Deutsch Neuguinea which is now Papua, you know, Papua New Guinea. That's right. That's yeah. one of the books from the Australian Orchid Foundation. Oh, it's got a lot God. of information a, in it. What a Bible. It's mm. thick as a telephone book. It is. Oh, enormous. So that was my one question there. And what was the name of that hall in Tuak Road? It's the Uniting Church. Uniting Church. It's our, our hall there, and you'll, you, you, you won't miss it. It's, it. It'll be obvious to everybody where the actual hall is. It's next to the main church building, and that's on the first Friday of every month, yes. except January. We don't meet in January. Yeah. And could you repeat that again, that, that business you were saying, you were some, doing something or another, and the government gives a one-for-one dollar? That will be our crowdfunding project, which will be launched at the, uh, at the show, and you'll be able to follow the links to it through our website. So if you just jump on our website at ANOSVIC and uh, follow the links from there, that'll, that'll put you through to the crowdfunding link as well. Okay. Well, thanks. That was that question. And now back to Virginia. Virginia, good morning. Virginia's not here. Do you, do you mean Penny? It's Penny? Yes. Yes. Well, it just shows you how alert I am this morning. <laughs> well, a Penny, uh, I, in Ringwood Garden Club, we had a lady and she went with her husband to a place called Wesley in, in London. And uh, I think the place was called, um, and in in this place, uh, which was started 1620 by some English king, uh, in Wesley, and it was the beginning of apothecary, and in there was a plan called Cosmos, and nobody could understand why, what possibly, what possible healing effect would be in a plant called Cosmos. Uh, nobody had an answer for it. Would you by any chance uh, have an idea? Um, Hugh, I think you probably mean the Chelsea Physic Garden, which is in, in London um, and was started in the 1600 by Charles, one of the Charles, Charles I or second. I can yeah, one, remember which. Um, and it is an apothecary's garden. It's a, the most amazing place that you yeah, it, it, could a, visit. Please tell me again, what was the name of that garden? It's the Chelsea Physic Garden, so P-H-Y-S-I-C, which actually means a physic is a, is a herbal um, cure for something. So well, it's Chelsea Physic Garden. It's an apothecary's garden that was started in the 1600s. Yeah, well, the lady on the telephone, I said to her, I'm having a blockage. I can't re- quite remember. Yeah what garden it was, and I thought it was Wesley, my apology. No, no, that's fine. It's, Wesley's an amazing garden as well, but, yeah, the Chel- it'll be the Chelsea Physic Garden because it's right in the middle of London. It's actually in Chelsea. So. Yes, well, anyway, she went there, and it is 
such yep. a very, very small gate to go through, mm. and above it, I think it said 1621, yep. by memory. And would you by any chance have an idea about the plant called Cosmos? Yeah, look, there is a Cosmos is a common um, garden flower, and there is a medicinal um, cosmos that has been used in medicine, but look at the moment, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head. Yeah, well, but, no, um, nobody knew, and nobody has ever heard that cosmos was used for in in medicine in the yeah. beginning of medicines and so on and so forth. It, it, this this place is it, it's fantastic. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, look, uh, I um I was there a, a few years ago and I took a whole heap of photographs of the medicinal plants and I think I actually photographed the cosmos. Oh, there you go. That was there. So mm. if you give me a chance to go back and have a look and I will get back to you on that. Well, you will next time when you come on air you will talk about it? I will try and remember to do that. Yes, I will write myself a note right now and um yeah, I will in in a month's time I will try to remember to so bring in that a information. Month's time in. you'll be on again. Yes, will. Penny will be on in a month's time, so she's always on on the third Sunday in the month. The third Sunday in the month. Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your help because nobody in, in Ringwood Garden Club has ever heard that Cosmos was used for it. Everybody admires the flower, mm. but uh, that was about it. So thanks very much. That's my contribution for today. Okay. Bye, Hugh. Bye-bye. Thanks, Hugh. Right. Next up, we have uh, Kate, who's out in Braybrook. Good morning, Kate. Hi. How are you? Well, thank you. Um, I was ringing because we, we moved to this place a couple of years ago and there's a fairly young um, fig tree and um, it's been producing fruit, you know, properly um, each year in spring. It's doing it again this year. But um, most of it seems to shrivel before it um, gets to, um, you know, the ripeness. And although a couple have actually, you know, ripened, ripened properly and they're beautiful little purple figs. So we're, we're just really confused as to why it's doing this. Mm. It, they may not be pollinated. Yeah, well, that was mm. going, that yeah. was going to be my guess. Oh, okay. Can so fig- so even though the little figs are growing, they're yeah. not pollinated. Figs no. are. Um, sorry, Steve. Do you yeah. mind if I no no I've go for it because you, yeah, no, you, you know more about um, figs than I do. Fig, figs, modern figs don't need to be pollinated by insects. They're self-pollinating. Uh-huh. Some of the older figs, the ones that were brought here by mm. by some of the early Greek and, and Italian immigration and and some of them even earlier, actually need to have a one of the um, wild figs as a pollinating tree for uh-huh. the figs to be properly pollinated. And there is a particular wasp that goes around and it needs to be able to go into these um, wild figs and, and then into the other fig to pollinate the fig. Um, so it, what I'm thinking, because of where you are, you, your fig tree may well be one of these old, older fig trees um, that are not so common these days. They produce the most amazing figs. Yeah. Um, but you may need to see if you can either – and it sounds as if some of them are being pollinated, but not all of them. So that yeah. so that would be yeah, one – They get larger and they're, they're green and then they just don't turn purple. Right. Okay. Well, that that if they if they're getting bigger, if they are actually developing and not dropping off, then that may um, be at whether they're getting enough sun, and yeah, okay. also whether they're underneath. getting enough water. It's it's underneath this co- neighbour's conifer. Yeah. Um, it's, well, that doesn't right. sound like a good spot. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So we didn't plant it, it, so it, it may it's just a young be young tree. Yeah. 
you know, okay. if, if it's only old. young, can you um, Dig it up. move it? Yep. No, it's too big now. But um, oh, I yeah, don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> the, the, one of the things about figs is that they actually don't mind their roots being restricted. They'll grow in some pretty tough positions, but you okay. do need to keep the moisture and the nutrients mm. up to them if they're competing with another big tree. But, uh, if, but there's, if there's pine needles all around it. Yeah, basically that, a carpet of pine needles around it. That could that could be an issue. It's a, if okay. there's a carpet of pine needles around it, that would suggest there's also a, an undersurface carpet of pine roots, which yeah. are yeah. probably the biggest issue. Um, okay. One of the things that you could do right now would be to take a cutting and get yeah. it going in a pot because the, mm. the figs grow really easily from mm. cuttings, and then when okay. that cutting is big enough, plant it somewhere else in the garden. Mm. All right, okay. So it's almost too late to take cuttings because you usually do it in winter, but um, if you haven't got too much growth on it, you may get that one to grow. Yeah, it's only got a small amount of leaves. Yeah, very small you could, it's worth trying because they do mm. grow very easily yeah. from cutting. But I don't think it'll ever be a productive tree if it's competing with a big pine tree from no. next door. Yeah, it's quite a while. The, the pine tree is probably about eight metres away. But, yeah, but if it's, it's a big a tree, its roots branch. will probably be pretty well up to your fig now anyway. Uh, yeah, okay. It's, it's an apricot right next to it and a plum, which mm. are producing beautifully. So, yeah, it's, it's still a bit bizarre. Yeah, look, with that, it's one of those tricky situations without actually being there and seeing the tree yeah, and no understanding right. what's going on. I would be, I would be feeding it. I'd be giving it a bit of extra water. Although yeah. this year you may actually do well anyway because it's been so yeah. wet. So, I and mean, last yeah. summer was a really dry summer, so that might be why they didn't develop properly. Okay, All so right. you may you have much. more success anyway. Okay. Yes. Okay. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have Anne, who's out in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'd like this morning some information, if I could, please, on Lismore lemon trees. I have one, and I want to know, can I water it in with sea salt when I plant it directly to the roots or above the roots? And is it true that they grow six metres tall, and will they need to be staked? Uh, well, it's a Lisbon lemon, I would suggest, not a oh, Lismore. Sorry. Uh, that's all right. It's, uh, it's, we just need to define these things so that we can then move on. Um, you can water anything in with sea salt. I mean, the seaweed products are very mild uh, and they're a good root stimulant and they, they activate the microbes in the soil and all that sort of stuff. So they're, they're actually a good sort of plant starter. So there's no reason why you shouldn't use them. And yes, the lemon trees can get quite big, but as long as you own a pair of secateurs, you can take control. Also, it's going to be planted about three or four metres away from a deceased lemon tree which died of gall wasp. Now, is there anything that I should be on the lookout for? Gall wasp. Yeah, gall wasp, <laughs> because it could do it again. Oh, dear. Yeah, because gall wasps fly in. How do I get in. rid of them? You have to cut off the swelling. But oh, it's, right. it's too late for this year because mm. a lot of them have mm. flown already. So you have to be really, really um, vigilant every year, um, round about June, um, have a look for any swellings on the branches and cut them, those branches off below the swellings. And get your right. neighbours to do the same. Yeah, it's not just about you. No, they don't travel very door. far, but they will come from, mm. you know, two or three houses away. So you need to ask your neighbours to cut their gall wasps out as well. Um, and one, if you've got a young tree, um, what I've, what my daughter has actually done with her um, lime this year is she 
there was another tree not that far away and we cut all the galls out of that and she had a couple in her lime tree and we cut those out but we then netted the tree. Oh yes, to keep them out. With a fine netting to stop them from attacking. So with a small tree you could actually just set up a net over the top for the three months when gall gall wasps are active. But it's got to be a fine netting because the gall wasps are quite small. What are the months when it's active, please? June, yes. July, August, September. I'd actually leave the net on till the end of September. Right. Oh, okay. And thank you very much. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Okay. Thanks, Anne. Bye. Bye. Right. Next up, we have uh, Christina out in Leangatha. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Pam and team. A lovely session. I'm ringing about an awkward question, please. Sure. Um, in May, I was given a beautiful pot of I think it's the phalaenopsis one the pot is 20 centimetres wide at the top and 19 centimetres high and there's no holes in the bottom of the pot I've been giving it about half a glass of water about every 10 to 14 days there's five stems on it beautiful blooms right up the stems uh, up to 450 centimetres high or millimetres is that anyway, 45 centimetres perhaps is it. Um, And now there's only about four flowers left on it. I did read somewhere that after the last flowers dropped, you're supposed to cut the stem down. I don't know where to. It's been inside. It gets morning sun um, at a sunny window. Um, And other than that... I've, that's about all I've been doing and I, I don't want to lose it. I don't know what happens, what you do afterwards and how do I keep this alive and keep okay. it blooming. Please. Okay, Christina. That's well, Richard, is it? Yes, yes, Christina. <laughs> Thank you. Your Phalaenopsis, which is actually an exotic, although I think we do have a species in northern Australia of our own type that's been discovered now, but butterfly orchid's the other common name for them. Right. Now, just have a, have a close look at when you cut that flower stem back, which you do need to do right down to the base where it's emerging from the actual leaf growth, um, you'll you'll find the spot. So you're only leaving maybe a centimetre of stem attached to the plant. Right. So you just m- remove all that. Most of the phalaenopsis that you get that have probably been given to you, they're actually grown in sphagnum moss and yes. they're in a clear plastic, it's a rather limp material that's inserted into another container which usually doesn't have any drainage holes in it, um, which is not a nice oh. combination. The reason they're in plastic, the clear plastic, is because the roots of Phalaenopsis are actually photosynthetic. So um, they do try to get out, and it does get sprawly and rather messy and all the rest of it. That doesn't matter so much, but just have a look and see... This is a black pot that it's in, rather thick. The black pot, just make sure it isn't actually sitting in another line in of its another, inside. another type, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, you can repot it into a pot with decent drainage holes at basically now that it's finished flowering. So they but, should really have holes in the bottom. Oh, the ideally, because that means any excess water you give it will drain away. Yes. The way you're doing it, and you've obviously been very good because you haven't rotted yes. it, so yeah. you've done an I'm extra... surprised it's still alive if exactly. there's no drainage holes. Oh. So you could you could put it into a, into a fairly coarse orchid mix, any sort of orchid mix, even cymbidium mix, something like that, or you could re-go again in the in the just the straight sphagnum moss. Do, um, do 
Um, do I, do, to get that coarse orchid mix, do you buy it in a packet? Yeah, yeah, you'll get it from the uh, any right. good gardening supplies, and you can get yep. them in quite small bags yes. so that if you, if you haven't got, you know, uh, a dozen or so pots to redo, you only want a small bag, so that, that'll be fine. So it's and, no good putting it back into the same pot. I am better... Or even if my husband made some holes in the bottom, would that be beneficial? Well... Get it out of that pot first just to make sure what's going on with the roots. Right. If the roots are starting to look a little bit messy, in other words, they're starting to brown off and there's no sign of really good, strong new growth starting, then you do have an issue. You'll have to be careful. They're, they're one of those things that can be a long time dying, unfortunately, and it's not always obvious above. above. It's what's happening below, below. that matters. Exactly. Do you, do you, if they do look a bit messy, the roots, would it be beneficial to trim them? Um, only only removing the dead material. Dead. Any root that's active will have a, a, a sort of a greenish tip to Green. it. Yep. it'll, it'll be whitish and it'll have a greenish tip to it. And yep. that's the, the part you've got to keep. You've got to keep um, encouraging, shall we say? Yep. But um, they're they're a beautiful orchid, and you probably will. You certainly will need to keep them inside over winter time in Melbourne. Yes. So when will they shoot again? Um, it's. Debatable. It if might I cut sta- it right down to a centimetre from the bottom. That, that, that's, that stem's done. Right. That'll never shoot again. They, right. they, they always will produce a new flower stem oh. every time they flower. They've got like little clips on them. That's and right. They're all because attached to a, a, a you can spike. leave You can leave that spike there. That's mm. just to attach them because they're naturally pendulous. Right. They just clip them up to make them look good look and good. make them attractive. So I can just use the same clips and clip you them can. too? You can. Just whatever. just keep those and, and you can leave the spike in place for when next time. When can I expect those um, to come up, the shoots to come up? I would, I would ex- well, yeah, it's always difficult because a lot of those plants are, are, are growing under ideal conditions. They might they, not again. <laughs> that's it. It can, it can take another, it might take a year before it'll, before it'll uh, actually flower again. So don't think that it's dead and gone. No, Give as long time. as the leaves are looking lush and green, you'll be right. Well, the leaves are beautiful. There's about eight leaves on them and Lovely. they're huge and they're solid Good, strong and they're plant. all standing up nicely. Absolutely. That's, but, that's a nice plant by the sound of it, Christina. Well, I, I believe these people would have given it to me from some he works in the garden area as far as supplying pickers for um, nurseries and things so Excellent. I imagine he would have got it from somewhere good that's it <laughs> oh well I just don't want to lose it I want to do justice to it and it's it's really been lovely no it sounds like you're on the right track what and about you've been feeding? doing the right things should I feed it now you can once once the active growth and the, we're back into warm weather you can feed um, you can just use an ordinary orchid food. Just go down to the nursery and see what they've got. Orchid food, and only supply that according to the directions on Absolutely. the packet? Absolutely. Always follow the directions yeah. twice the as much isn't necessarily twice as good. Exactly, <laughs> no, exactly. No, and even if there's no shoots showing, I would still keep the feed up once a month or something like that. Only it? during the warm part of the year, though. Plants can't absorb things when it cool. Most plants, and orchids in particular, when they go dormant, they won't absorb anything over the cold months. Right. And there's no point in feeding it during that period. No, thank you. You've been so helpful. We love the session and listen every Sunday morning. <laughs> Good on you. Thank you very much, Pam and Penny. Okay. And Stephen and Bye, Christina. Bye-bye. Okay, next up we have uh, Thomas out in Albert Park. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Pam. Penny, Richard, Stephen. Well done. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. I've got weeds on the, the nature strip about my front, and it's sandy soil. Does, how do you get 
How do you get them out? What weeds? Just weeds on the lawn. Yeah, but what, do you know what they are? No, no. Because what you do often depends on what the actual mm. weed is. So are they rosettes of weeds or are they, um, you know, can you just describe them a oh, little bit? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just, let's say rosettes. Okay, so, yeah, maybe, so could be maybe dandelions or, or cape, cape weed. weed yes, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Are, are they quite big? Yeah. Okay. They're about um, a foot foot long and about six inches wide. Okay. Do you have any sort of hoe or digging implement or, you know, a fulcrum? No, well, I was about to ask you. I've seen the fulcrum yeah. gadgets Look, at, the, at uh, the warehouse. I don't know what sort of area you're coping with. but It's the, sandy soil. Yeah, the thing the thing that I use for removing um, rosette type weeds from my garden and other places as well is one of is a Fisker's pronged weeder, but they retail for between sixty and seventy dollars. I've seen them; they look really they special. Are fantastic. I, I, you know, I love it, yeah. um, and yeah. I don't know anything else that's like it for those particular weeds. I have a, quite a few dandelions in my garden, and they're. It's just solved That's my problem. Yeah. And, and in a sandy soil, those yeah. sort of products actually work quite well because the whole root should come up. Yeah, mm. and mm. that's the way that works and you don't have to bend. And, but, look, I wouldn't spend that sort of money if you've only got half a dozen weeds to get Oh, out. no, it's right along the nature ship. There's four houses and I'm sick of this. Okay. So, well, I, I honestly think that if it – but, look, if it, that's why I wanted to know what sort of weeds it was because I don't want you to spend that sort of money. But it, you can do it standing up. You don't mm. have to get down on your mm. hands and knees, which is what you need to do with, with the sort of hand yeah, weeding. Yeah, I did that last year and, and then I saw one of these levers and yeah, I thought, this is the only and, way I can do this. And, and you, you can put it in, it closes around it, you just use the leverage of the mm. device to pull it out and then you have a thing that you push down and you can drop it Wonderful. into a bucket or, or whatever you want to do with it. So I have a friend who removed cape weed from a horse paddock um, using one of these weeders. She took out hundreds of them and um, managed to do it in half a day. Oh, Goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it really is effective for those particular weeds. But, I mean, yeah, it's useless, not going to have any effect on cooch grass. Useless for oxalis or cooch grass no. or those sort of things. But anything that's in a rosette or is in a small clump. The, the weeds have all got pickles on Prickles. So they may be thistles. May be thistles, which would yeah, be the same which, thing. As long the same as they're not starting work. to go up, this weeder will still work really well. When If they're starting to put up flowers, then um, it's a bit trickier. They're a bit harder to get out, but it still works on them. So I've used them on thistles as well. Um, when, when you get them out, what do you do with the hole? Um, there, shouldn't, there actually shouldn't be that big a hole. This is what the, why the pronged weeder is really good. You're not having to dig a great big hole. It actually pulls the taproot, the long yeah, so you root just, out. You virtually end up with just yeah. the hole, the taproot, and, narrow, and you just tread on it. Or, I mean, if you want to, you could put a bit of a bit of soil into it, but I haven't found that necessary. You don't have to. Put You're virtually water. aerating the lawn. Yeah. Really. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so it's fine. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you, Penny. That's all right. Thank I've you, actually, Stephen. Can I just... There, there's a question up there as well, which is sort of pertinent to what you've asked. Um, in the next edition of Organic Gardener magazine, I've actually got a three-page article all about weeding and using flame weeders and pronged weeders and hoes and um, uh, organic sprays and all sorts of things. So if anyone who's having a weed problem... Um, that might be worth looking at it. it. The current issue has tomatoes on the front cover. The next issue that's coming out in a couple of weeks has got watermelons on the cover. I shall buy the two and I shall see you at the South Melbourne market in a couple of months. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Okay, um, we have Hugh back again. Good morning, Hugh, for the second time. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older, not younger, and I mix, I'm in the habit of mixing things up. But I distinctly remember Ern Kettle. And he, I think he has something to do with Orchid Words or Garden City, Garden, Garden Word or something like that. Anyway, he is considered to be a guru in the in the in the orchid world. And Richard, I think the lady there who has problems with the phalaenopsis, I think Erin Kettle was saying people lose their phalaenopsis because they cut them off two notes from the bottom, and that problem originated from a poor translation from. Taiwanese into English. Um, lots of phalaenopsis come from Taiwan, and somebody translated it and said, after flowering, cut off two notes, cut off after the two notes, but he didn't say the two notes from the top and not two notes from the bottom. So that lady who has problems with the phalaenopsis, I don't grow them, I can't talk much about it. But I distinctly remember Ern Kettle saying the customers coming back and coming back and saying, oh, you killed my plants, my plants are dead, et cetera, et cetera. So if that lady is listening, I'm not doubting Richard's um, knowledge in, in, um, in the orchid world. I have no problems in, uh, uh, accepting what Richard was saying. But at the same time, one phalaenopsis is not exactly the same to another one. And um, that lady should take advice. There's, for example, Morunda Orchid Society is having a show next Saturday, Sunday. Unfortunately, I can't find the flyer and I can't tell you where it is. But uh, if anybody is there and can help her with uh, the um, whereabouts of the Morunda show, there are some fantastic Philanopsis buyers and go there and have a look. It's in Canterbury Road, somewhere, little shopping center, the back of a little shopping center. Um, I, ca I can't help you more than that. Um, but uh, I, I urge the lady to take that phalaenopsis, go to an orchid society, and they will put her right. Um, because um, I, I, I think there is more to it than just cutting off at the bottom. I'm sorry, did you hear me? Yes, we did, Hugh. Okay? okay? Thanks for all of that. Okay. Bye. Bye. Right, uh, next up we have Vic, who's in Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oh, good morning, um, uh, panel. Um, yeah, look, I've got a couple of questions here. I've got a, uh, a fig tree. It's pretty old. And um, one of the things that happens at the base of it, it makes heaps of suckers. And one of my questions is, what, how do you get rid of those? Do you rip you, them out? Do you cut them off? You just keep cutting them off. They'll just keep coming back. But if they're a nuisance to you, just keep cutting them off. It's like you've got to cut the grass every couple of weeks because yeah, it gets I, long. Yeah, but I've heard over the years, some people, something, you rip them off. That's if you've got something growing below an understock, which isn't happening with your fig because it'll be on its own root. So it's all part of the same tree. 
So you just cut them off. Yeah, yeah. just cut them off neatly back to the base of the trunk uh, if they're in the way. I mean, if they're not in the way, you can leave them there and they'll grow out and become branches that will probably end up with figs. They're actually growing out from the trunk. They're actually growing from around the ground. Yeah, yeah, they'll sucker from the roots as well. So, yeah, just just hoik them off. Uh, but you'll, you'll have to do it all the time. It's not something that you, you'll be able to stop. Okay, that's fine. So it's just a regular maintenance thing. Yeah. Can, can you actually get them and replant them? Yeah. 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 They'll often have roots at the bottom of them, so you can actually dig them out and replant them if you want another fig tree. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that actually would be a good idea because this one's growing right in the fence line. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. What's the process? What's you got to do? Well, if they're coming up off the roots, you just need to get a really sharp spade or something like that and dig down, you know, probably, I don't know, 20 centimetres on either side of it and cut through the main roots and then you should be able to pull the sucker out with a piece of root on the bottom of it and then just replant it. Put in the ground. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about some special mix. Don't worry no, about no. no. Figs are figs are really pretty easy to grow. Yeah, just whack it in the garden somewhere and water it in. And as long as you've got reasonable soil, I yeah. mean, if you're doing it in a desert, you you, know, yeah. you might want to do something to it. But okay, that's 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 good. Now here's one for a lemon tree. Mm. Uh, now this this tree is very big and bushy. It's getting water from broken sewage. Uh, but I want to know why the big branches, the horizontal parts of the big branches, why they rot. Rot? Yeah, I don't know why. Some of the big branches on this tree, the horiz- particularly horizontal branches... Are they rotting at where there's been pruning done, or are they... No, no, right on top of the branch, just along the horizontal... Or... Are they getting a lot of sun inside, or is it is it well shaded over it? Oh, the tree shades itself. Yeah, because I was going to say they the bark on lemon trees can burn if mm-hmm. they get hot sun on them, right. uh, and then you get a dead patch of bark, which would then set could set up some rot. But if it's not because of the sun coming in on it, I'm not quite sure what the is issue it. Could... Is it rot or is it just dieback? Oh, or is it? Look, I don't know what you mean by dieback. All I know is I can I can break the top off because there's no substance to it. It's like it's rotted off. And now you haven't got any bark under on top of that. You're actually looking at the wood. Mm. And it's dry. Mm. You know, like when you look at the wood, you think, oh, hey, that's got to yeah, be dead. It sounds like dead because the whole tree's yeah. growing out of these branches. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, it's hard. Look, it's hard to know. I, I would be cutting out the dead yes, I'd, parts. Yes, I'd be mm. chopping um, it back. And disposing of them. Um, so if you cut that off, you've lost your tree. Okay, so it's it's still growing further out. It still grows through that branch, yeah. Right. The, yeah, the tree still grows through it. It's just like the top part's dead, but the bottom's still carrying. Okay. All the all the food and whatever it's got yep. to get to all the rest of the tree. Okay. I'm wondering whether it's possible that something like bush rats or possums are eating. I was wondering the, about mm, possums. Yeah, having a crack at the bark. Yeah. And, and killing off the top of the tree that way. Maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. Uh, I'd certainly be out there with a torch at night. Um, giving... oh, I know possums are there. They just sit out and laugh at me during the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you expect that of possums. Um, I, I was walking around. I thought, geez, there's a lot of cats around. There's possums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it could be physical damage that's being done by something like possums. Um, so I'd certainly be checking it out at night and seeing if the possums are scurrying through your lemon tree and, and chewing on the bark or something, they may well be That's killing the t- bark on the top. Right, but I didn't see that kind of external type of damage. Mm. Uh, and the second thing is that tree does have ball wasp problem too. Mm. And I'm wondering if that mightn't have been done a long time ago. 
through a goal wasp attack, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's possible, but you know, you, you certainly do need to get on top of your gore wasp. I might add, citrus trees will reshoot from really old wood too. So, if all else fails, you can cut it back almost to a stump, yep. and the tree will reshoot again. Yep. Okay. And for about the last seven, eight months, I don't know why, but the fruit has been green. It's still green, and it's still small. Mm. Well, I wouldn't expect my lemons to be anything much th- other than that right through the winter months. Yeah, but mine are. Mine have been fruiting right through the winter. Yeah. It may be too shady. Um, if you've got a really... Have you too know, much tree? Can there be too much... Yeah, you can. they can have too much shade. Yeah, but it's the tree itself. Yeah, that is shading it. So you may need to just try thinning the tree out a little bit to let a little bit more light into the fruit. How, like, in, at, the, at the present time now... Can I do it now? You can do it any time, but you will lose some fruit on the branches well, that are perhaps anyway. producing it's fruit. Green, it's all little and it's... Yeah. Mm. All right, well, then get stuck in and give it a good pruning. The, the warm weather's coming on, yeah. so it's probably better to prune now while it's still coolish so the yeah. tree can adjust to having a more open canopy. And yeah, if it yeah. means removing some of those badly damaged, damaged limbs altogether, all the better in a way. Okay, that's fine. Now, with regard to food, what sort of food would you recommend and how do I apply that? just around the base of the tree uh, and any organic sort of fertiliser, the chicken pellets, the, you know, cow manure, blood and bone, all those things are good. Um, compost. Compost from the from a compost heap is fantastic. The, the, the issue people seem to keep coming back to all the time is what food is best, and it's not about what food is best. It's about giving a balanced diet. So a variety of things is better than just one. And I'd be watering in some um, seaweed yeah, extract some seaweed as well to thing. get the micronutrients yeah. in there. So well. get, give it a balanced diet. I mean, you want different things at each meal. So does your lemon tree. Yeah. When you say micro elements, that, that's, what does that actually mean? Uh, it means things like um, the, the the main the main fertilisers are the potassium, um, nitrogen, and phosphorus, um, but and we need reasonable amounts of those. But things like boron, like molybdenum, like um, help yeah. me, Steve. I'm Selenium, many, all so, sorts of things. Um, <laughs> you only need tiny amounts, but they are still essential for um, for the plant's right. various can functions get, in the plant. Can you get that as a that it's all mixed up. You can yeah. get it. You can get it um, these days. You can actually buy a packet of um, my, these micro minerals, micronutrients. Yeah, they um, just in sell rock, it as trace dust. elements. Trace elements. Or, but yeah. you, there's also most of them are in seaweed. So mm. if you're watering with with seaweed extract, then um, that's going to give you most of your micronutrients as uh, well. Because seaweed is not actually a fertilizer. It doesn't provide the the NPK that that um, that plants need. It it provides mainly the micronutrients. Okay. Now the last thing. So, how far out from the base of the tree do you go when you do something like that? Out to the out drip to line. the drip line and yeah. a bit further. Mm. There's actually research now that shows that the roots, the roots are out, out further, further mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the drip line. Yep. And you don't do it within about. Um, half a metre of the base of the tree because the roots, the feeder roots aren't there, they're further out. I know so, I'm buggered because there's concrete and bluestone and the building and all that with inside that distance. Just... Okay, well do it where you can. Yeah, okay. yeah. You've, you've, got to, you've got to cut your cloth to yeah. to what you've got. So. There's no point in watering the concrete. No, that's right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so whatever space you've got there, use that to feed your tree in because you've got no choice. Yeah. And one thing about concrete, when you water it, 
And if it's out in a dry place, it never goes green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Exactly. Concrete, concrete is not one of the friendliest elements of a garden. No. Okay, Vic. All right. Well, thank you very, very much for that. Okay then. Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. And uh, we have Anne next out in Baldwin. Good morning, Anne. Uh, good morning. Uh, I had an awkward question, if I could. Sure. Um, I've got a dendrobium that I've had for, oh, I hate to think how long, and it's enormous. It's in a, it's in a pot. It would be a metre and a half around. Goodness, that sounds like a big dendrobium. It's huge, <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. Um, but, and it, it was beautiful. It used to have massive flowers, and it was absolutely gorgeous. But it hasn't flowered for a really long time, and I think it's, well, compacted. But I would have to take an axe to it to do anything. I mean, it's impossible. I can't even take the pot away from it. Well, good morning, Anne. Hi. Um, it, it, yes, you can. It, it sounds like it's a, it's a uh, speciosum. It's got the big, thick, leathery leaves. Yes. Yes. And the big, the big uh, pseudo bulbs that come up with them. Now, yeah, it's probably well and truly pot bound. So, what you're probably going to be better off doing in the long run is biting the bullet, um, get it out of that pot. Even if you do have to use an axe, yeah, I can swear to being guilty of doing similar things. <laughs> They're a bit like cymbidiums. You can you can take to them with whatever you need. You will do a little bit of damage, but, you know, with the overall bulk and size of the plant, it, 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 you, you won't notice it in 12 months' time. No, yeah. So yeah. what you'd probably do is is get yourself a couple of nice big, you know, the 40-centimetre black plastic tubs yes. and uh, maybe divide it into two and put the two halves, one in each tub, with some um, just some good coarse Orchid mix, cymbidium-type orchid mix will do fine. Yeah. Because um, they're naturally a lithophyte. They naturally grow on rocks, those yeah, things. Yeah. So so anything anything you want to do. The reason I say divide it up is because these things can get massive and yeah. they just become unmanageable. Well, that's basically you what You just can't move to. them around. Yeah. And light's so important for them flowering. They do like a good deal of light to get good flowering so having them in a pot that you can move around maybe with the seasons you might have a spot that's ideal in winter but yeah. gets too hot in summer yeah. so you can you can move it under some protection during during the height of summer and things like that but i, I would and now's the time to do it as well the middle uh, of it seems to be a bit Manky, you know. It, that's you, where you throw the axe in. That's where you, that's where you start from, and 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 it'll be self-evident once you get it out of that pot. And is is the pot plastic the one you've yeah, got? Yeah, yeah. What you might need to do, and do it very carefully because it can be slippery and dangerous. Using a pair of old secateurs or something similar, just cut straight down the pot from yeah. the rim straight down to the base maybe three times around so it's like peeling a banana yeah, you know right. and just pull it back pull it off, yeah. and drag the rest out and then uh, as i said with with i've i've got a massive big it's almost like a um, a machete at home that i get into things like that <laughs> with and and start working out from the center any rotted pseudo bulbs that are soft and mushy yes get rid of them yes, yes. if the pseudo bulbs have got no leaves on them but they're still firm nice and hard yeah you can leave them on because the plant they're all interconnected and the plant will still draw nutrients from them okay all right and and and, and as we've been saying this morning once you've done all that put it back in the fresh mix give it a good water in with some seaweed solution and you'll be off and away oh good that's that's excellent Oh, could I quickly ask, um, just 
the place that is open on Mount Macedon. Yeah. Uh, you're doing the walk with Stephen. Oh yes, Art Hilly. Yes. Yeah. Could, sorry, I was um, not with a pen at that time. Could you? All right. <laughs> if you want to contact them to make a booking, and bookings are essential, yeah. uh, you do it through the um, the website or the yeah. e- email address, and it's info. Yes. At Ard Hoyle Gardens or Ard Hilly Gardens, which is A R D C H O I double L E Garden. Oh, okay. Yep. So yep. dot yep. uh, au. Oh, great. Okay. And the one quickly, um, the show that's on at St. Scholastica's is that next week? Uh, uh, yeah, where yes. was the St. Scholastica's? <laughs> and what was it? Um, it's it's this is the Melbourne Clivia group. It's their oh, Clivia Clivia's. Expo. Oh, yep, okay. Yep. And okay. it's next Saturday only, not the Sunday. Just the Saturday, ten till four. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for all your help, and that's good good news about my dendrobium. Thanks good a luck, lot. Andy. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yes, I wonder whether you don't need some muscle involved with that one. Maybe, mm. maybe there's a man in her life that might be able to help. Wrangling Stephen. orchids, that's it. <laughs> Women are very capable of doing these things. Mm. Yeah, well, don't I don't know. I'm getting to a point a where I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I can manage it sometimes. I want some muscle around sometimes for some of well, those maybe jobs. maybe, say, a younger person. A younger person, Rather than maybe. maybe a man. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with sort of extramarital gardening, <laughs> I always <laughs> think. Right. <laughs> I must just quickly mention, um, we still do have one free double pass to give away. This is to the Open Garden at Fairhome, which is at 35 Prospect Hill Road in Camberwell. It's open next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, 10am through to 4pm. As I say, we do have one free double pass if if someone likes to ring in uh, very quickly uh, now before we, we close very shortly. On nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five for that free double pass. Um, Richard, we haven't mentioned with the show next weekend. Um, we haven't. We've, we've touched on it, but you do have quite an extensive range of um, talks throughout both days. And um, I notice here, for instance, on the. You have to choose which you want to go to, whether you go on the Saturday or the Sunday a little bit. <laughs> well, absolutely. But if people retain their ticket stub um, and they come on the Saturday, we're more than happy to um, let them back in again on the Sunday if they want to come to one of the talks. I think oh, we can be fair enough about brilliant, that. Brilliant, brilliant. So, oh, that's good. You know, Excellent. And that sort of thing. So just remember that if, if you do come on the Saturday and you want to get in again on the Sunday, just keep your ticket stub and I'll make sure people at the door know and um, they'll, they'll let you back in again. Fantastic. Okay. And have you got the speakers up on the website? Yes, yes, all those details will be on the website. Okay. I might just quickly run through some of the talks, though, Richard. Um, on the Saturday, we have Native Orchids on Melbourne's Fringe, given by yourself. Um, then we have the A to Z of Growing Terrestrial Orchids, and uh, in the afternoon is that, uh, that talk on orchid photography that we mentioned earlier. Then on the Sunday, how to, prop- how to cultivate epiphytic orchids, mounting and potting. Um, again, a talk by uh, Phil Ritchie, who used to come on the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, then uh, effective orchid conservation. And finally, Lake Mountain after Black Saturday, which again, you'll be speaking on. So um, a wide range of topics. 
Well, that's that's the idea is just to you know broaden the the horizons for people and just let them know that it's not you know what we're about is not just focused in one particular area. Mm. There's there's a lot involved and uh, just to make it interesting for them. Absolutely, mm. um, and just to repeat, uh, the Native Orchid Show is on next weekend, both days, Saturday and Sunday, nine to four on both days. It is at Mount Waverley Community Centre at 47 Miller Crescent there, Mount Waverley, opposite the railway station. And uh, entry cost to get in, Richard? We've got the entry is $5 and concession is $3 and uh, under 16 is free. Wow, fantastic. Excellent value for all of that. And, of course, there'll be the usual things like... Um, Devonshire teas, tea and coffee, sandwiches, etc. Absolutely, all available. hot food there, pies, yep. pasties, sausage rolls, you name it. It'll all Sounds be like happening. a footy match. <laughs> it does, it does. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Stephen, we've just got time for one plant, I oh, think. Oh, God, and I've got four to talk about. Yep. All right. Uh, choose your favourite. Oh, God, that's awful having to do that. <laughs> uh, actually, the one I want to talk about is this one. Um, it was called Ranunculus Ficaria, the lesser celandine. Uh, it's another plant that's had a name change. It's now Ficaria verna. So, uh, and look, it can be a thuggish little plant in some people's gardens if it's got a sort of a heavy soil and a damp winter. Uh, it can spread around a bit, but it disappears in the summer, uh, so it doesn't swamp things in the summer. And the wild form has a little single yellow buttercup type flower on it. And there's all sorts of different forms of the. the that have shown up over the years. And this is a double sort of creamy one, uh, which sort of has a greenish, greyish colour to the back of the petals. And it's unfortunately been called double mud. Oh, good heavens. (laughs) It is not a name that will help sell the plant. And I think it's very unfortunate. But double mud is actually quite a cute little lesser celandine. And because it's fully double, it's actually sterile. Yeah. So it won't self-seed around. Yep. So you, although it will move by the little tubers it has under the ground slowly sideways, uh, it doesn't set seed. I think I'd buy that just for its name. Yeah, double mud. <laughs> I got it originally as an unnamed double creamy coloured form. Nobody seemed yeah. to know what it was and it took me ages to find the name. And, I and well, actually I'd seen the name quite a few times but I couldn't pin it down to the plant yep. and it just didn't seem to apply to it to me. So mm. I ignored the name double mud for a long time until I actually found some photographic proof that in fact that was the name of this poor little plant uh, and it's very cute it's like you know it's sort lovely. of like little formal double mm. glossy petaled camellias almost yes. it's a it's a really sweet little thing and it has bright green foliage and it would be a nice little thing to have as a, just a winter accent in the garden and then it disappears in the summer uh, mm. only to just erupt again in the in in the autumn early winter and it flowers right through the winter early spring and you can get brown leafed f- uh, forms you can get orange flowered forms uh, there's doubles in both this creamy color and yellow uh, so there's a whole range of different um, forms but the double ones don't seed so they're probably safer if you're a little worried about things taking over your garden and I think the Lesser celandines are cute. Excellent. So there you go. So there's the one I've selected. I'll have to keep the others for another time. You will. Mm. We need to remind listeners that um, if they want to head up to Mount Macedon oh, today. Yes. Today, the plant uh, or Garden Lovers Fair at Bolabeck uh, on Mount Macedon Road. I'll actually be there today at one o'clock doing a talk on bulbs. So uh, the speaker's marquee will be mine for about three quarters of an hour. Uh, so people might like to come up and have a listen to me talking about garden bulbs. Uh, but otherwise, it's a great garden and there's so many stalls to look at and of course virtually every stall there is run by the grower so they know their stuff and so if you want to know about how to espalier
failure of fruit tree or or how to how how to grow some weird South African bulb or or perennials or hostas or whatever. There's somebody up there that can give you all of the lowdown, including about cliveas. Good. Is Florilegium there? Uh, no, Gil's not there this year. He's finding okay. it difficult to uh, expense-wise to come down from Sydney and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I can I'm, imagine that. Fortunately, we have unfortunately we don't have a bookseller there this year. But you know, there's garden ornaments, there's garden furniture, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. So uh, the Ewood people are there. So if people want to see the Ewood product, they can go up and have a look at that. Um, so yeah, so it'd be a good day out for everybody. Mm. And a wonderful chance to look around the garden. Oh, Bolabek is just the most stunning garden. I mean, it's got great vistas, fabulous, you know, 80 and 100 year old trees. Um, and it, it was obviously landscaped with great care, thought, money and uh, and garden passion all mixed in together, which mm. often you don't see. You, you often see money thrown at something, but not always great taste. And in the case of this garden, it's got both that's happened over the century or so it's been going. Fantastic. Now, I presume it's all well signposted. You'll find it quite easily along Mount Macedon Road. It has a sign out the front that, you know, sort of points you in and the parking is on site. So you just drive okay. down the kilometre driveway. Excellent. Okay. A big thank you to all the team this morning. Great to see you back again, Richard. Best Thanks of luck lot, with Pam. the show next weekend. And um, a big thank you to Liz, who's been handling all the phone calls this morning. We'll, of course, be back again at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. 